Welcome to the Thriving Women in STEM podcast. We're your hosts, Dr. Ursula Lang and Dr. Brianne Daniels. Our mission is to support, nurture, and re-inspire STEM professional women to reclaim their lives and flourish. And the way we do this is through community building, shared experiences, and coaching tools. Let's do this. Hello, everyone. We're so glad to be back with you this week. And we are talking about self-acceptance and our broader theme of identity. So how are you doing today, Dr. Ursula Lang? Hi, Bree. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) It's uh, getting closer to the end of March and we're wrapping up our, our identity month. I think it's been so far my favorite month. Identity is so, so important. And I love, love my identity and who I've become and embracing all of me. So I really hope that we can pass along some of those tips and um, and speak our own stories and inspire others to speak theirs. So love, and love, yes, love. I'm doing, I'm doing well. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. <laughs> Good to hear. Um, yeah, and I also agree. This is a really um, special topic to my heart as well. And uh, yeah, we've been having having a lot of fun this month as spring starts to come around the corner and the, the sun or rain is out more often. I had, we had some rain actually surprisingly the other day and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Wasn't expecting was, that. But there was one day, one day of rain. Yeah. <laughs> Good to have some rain um, in the dry areas that we, that we live in. So, um, yeah, so let's get started. So we're going to talk about self-acceptance. And so I just wanted to sort of briefly outline the the kind of three main things we're going to talk about and then we'll dive into them. So first under the topic of self-acceptance, we're going to talk about telling ourselves the truth and what that means and how we can talk about that and piece it apart a little bit more in our lives. Then we're going to talk about meeting ourselves where we are, and we'll talk more about that. And then we'll talk a little bit about our own stories of self-identification, identity, Um, and that'll be really fun too, because we'll get to share a little bit of our stories. And then, you know, maybe you guys can share your stories with us um, through our social media platforms or any other way you would like to reach out, email as well. So we're talking about telling ourselves the truth. And... So it would be good for us to take just a moment to pause and think, where are you currently? Like, what are some of the thoughts maybe you have about yourself? And I know that this can be something that maybe is a little hard if you're in the middle of driving or doing something else, you know, it might be hard to concentrate on that, but maybe just take a moment and try to catch one thought maybe that you have about yourself and where you are currently. And then we can even go a little further and we can ask ourselves, what are the facts surrounding that, that thought that we have about ourselves? So as an example, maybe, maybe my thought is I'm really busy. And then I'm thinking, okay, so what are the facts? I have work today. I'm going to pick up the kids from school. I'm going to make a meal. So you can start to piece it apart a little bit. And those are just useful kind of baseline things to start to think about um, from a self-awareness standpoint, most, most especially self-awareness. And of course, as we build our self-awareness, then we can start moving towards things like self-acceptance 
um, and pulling out more of the, the, the sort of actions or feelings that we really want to have in our life from where we currently are. So I was talking to Ursula a little bit earlier, and um, she had this really great way of talking about and teasing out what our true desires are. And so I wanted to invite her to, to help open up that discussion a little bit more. Yeah, I'm happy to. Yeah. So I think our true desires with respect to identity and self-acceptance and truth-telling is asking ourselves if we were in a bubble and it was really truly just us outside of society, outside of our family, outside of our friends, what would we really want? Like, what would that magic wand moment, if you could just have whatever you want, what would that be? And sometimes we, we are scared to say that out loud. We have this kind of secret wish, secret desire, but we keep telling ourselves that we just can't have that. So why don't we just bury that underneath the reality, the quote unquote reality of our life. And I say quote unquote, because the reality is what we decide it is in a lot of ways. Um, this is where separating out truth that Bree just talked about, what are the facts? What are the actual facts versus what is the story? And what is that quote unquote being realistic look like? So, you know, I gave Bree the funny example of like, well, you know, if I was in a bubble, like I would just live on a deserted Island somewhere and open up like a little wine and cheese shop and then, you know, live out my days, um, <laughs> making my own hours and doing my own thing and creating, maybe I'll be an artist, you know, like all these things when, um, you know, you kind of play around with that potential identity that we're kind of is, is under the surface, but we don't want to tell ourselves the truth about we're bearing a part of our dream, a part of our truth, a part of our desire. And, you know, we can easily get into the habit of dismissing some of those sneaky like desires, because we keep telling ourselves it's just not realistic. But what I want to invite you all to think about is if you were to just take a moment and give it some air, breathe some life into it, give it some, some air and ask yourself, what part of that experience would I, would I love? And this is getting back to that feeling, right? That Brie was talking about. What feeling would I feel if I got to experience that? And what part of the experience of opening my wine and cheese shop, what I really enjoy? Is it the wine? Is it the cheese? Because I can go down the street and buy wine and cheese today, but it's not that, right? It's the, the feeling of ownership of a small business. It's the feeling of entrepreneurship. It's the feeling of making my own hours, being my own boss. And that's really where, you know, I brought up my reality was, you know, at one point was building my own lab potentially, right? And and deciding what, what I wanted to research and having that autonomy to decide this is kind of fun to create. And, you know, as I was shifting out of my lab role and starting a business with Brie and we started coaching, it gave that feeling again. It gave the feeling of like, I'm doing, I'm doing me. I'm deciding to create something from scratch just like I would with that little wine and cheese shop on a deserted island, but it doesn't have to look that way, but it can create the same feeling. And so I think we need to really think and ask ourselves, what is that true desire just as an experiment mm -hmm. and own that as part of your truth and own that as part of your self-acceptance of, yeah, I do desire that. Can I allow myself to, 
to breathe into that a little bit. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. I love the way you describe it. And especially bringing up the kind of that true desire and then the feeling that it produces. And so it might not be that the feeling is, you know, desire itself, right? You might come up with another word for the feeling that it produces, but like you were saying, like ownership or autonomy or, you know, freedom, maybe freedom. That's actually the word of the year for me. I I said a a word intention at the beginning of the year, freedom was my word intention, but more freedom of thought, freedom of exploration, freedom around. So yeah, it's, it's like the feeling that it's creating. So yeah, yeah, well said. So like, we just want to offer, if you're listening, you know, maybe just kind of take that moment, think about if that magic wand came out and just made it so whatever, whatever your desire is could happen or does happen, does happen. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, then sitting in that, you know, maybe if it helps to close your eyes, if you're safe and you're not driving a car, um, if you're in a place where it's okay to close your eyes and then, you know, really try to think, what is, what is that feeling? What does that feel like in my body? Um, And that can be really helpful first step to start to identify what those things are, either the things around us or the thoughts that we're having about the things around us that can produce that feeling. Um, And it may or may not be moving to the deserted island with the wine and cheese shop. (laughs) And you wouldn't want a deserted island, probably. You'd want to go to an island that has some people on it. You're right. You're absolutely right about that. (laughs) Um, Well, who knows if, as long as, you know, I I was picturing like a conversation around a cheese stand with wine, but um. you're you're right. That that dream needs some modification there Um, (laughs) because you would have to be on that island too. So, and then we'd have to have somebody play the band. Right. And there'd have, be some music. there would yeah. be some music and someone definitely would be cooking food for me. So yeah, there'd be more people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but still the concept of, you know, I think a lot of us though, we kind of have that concept of like, Oh, if I could just get to the quiet beach, you know, then, then things would be better. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or I take this vacation, whatever it you know looks like. Right. And it's not to say that we shouldn't take vacations. Of course, you know, that's an essential part of health and, rest and everything, but, um, but recognizing where we can bring in some of the feelings that we really want to have just in our, just in our life that we currently have, um, is really helpful and powerful as a tool. So kind of continuing on that, we wanted to bring up that there are some things that we want to maybe look out for when we're starting to, to do some of this, this work and figuring out what our desires are. And one of those things is that a lot of times we can get in our head this word (laughs) um, or build it into our statements, like the word should essentially. And, you know, it's not to say that we can't use the word should ever, but sometimes it kind of starts to infiltrate our thinking, like I should be able to do this better, or, you know, my kids should be doing their homework (laughs) or they should be, they should be listening to me. They should be following directions. They should be paying attention. Um, I should have already achieved my goal. Um, Or I should, I should love my work more. I should feel differently. Um, So a lot of times we kind of have these thoughts in the back of our mind playing, or even in the front of our mind, and they can bring in you know, quite a bit of judgment to our current 
thinking, right? So we're we're basically judging judging the situation. And so it's just useful to keep in mind that those types of statements are, first of all, you know, very common. <laughs> we all have them. Um, and they will they will be there and they will come back. It's not like you're going to get rid of them completely. But again, having some awareness around maybe how often they're present in our mind, how often they're coming up and around what types of things in our lives are coming up around. So, you know, maybe it's mostly around something to do with kids or caregiving, um, or it's mostly related to work or, you know, it's kind of, you, you know, ubiquitously sprinkled throughout. Um, just wanted to offer some additional tips for awareness around where we can, um, take control of our thoughts and guide them in the direction that we would like to go because we know that they do uh, drive our feelings, right? And the feelings are what ultimately take us to where we want to go. And can I offer like one thing that um, with should um, that Brene Brown likes to say is should is could with shame on top, which I love that way of thinking about should. we're shaming ourselves, or if we think people, other people should be doing it better, we're shaming them, um, in our minds. Um, and then the other thing, the other expression we like to use a lot is stop shooting all over yourself. So the next (laughs) time these should statements come up just in kind of a, a, like a fun way thinking about like, stop shooting at yourself. And that just kind of redirects me sometimes when I'm like, oh, there it is. I'm shutting again. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it, you know, it makes it a little lighter. I think that's a really little lighter. Exactly. Because yeah. the last thing we want to do is put shame on top of the shooting situation, right? <laughs> and it's so, so common when we have people starting out coaching uh, that once you have this wave and influx of self-awareness, you're like, oh my God. I'm creating my suffering. I'm creating, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. No, that's not what we're saying. Right. The awareness piece is like opening your eyes to wait a minute. This is, this is the root cause this is the mechanism. We're all like scientists or have advanced degrees and figuring things out. I think that when I started this work and having that awareness, I'm like, wait a minute, it's an equation. And with that knowledge comes power, right? And so not to be sounding so cheesy right now, but, <laughs> but once we realize the should and words matter, right? We always say words matter. Like once we take the should out of our statements and perhaps even use it as like a guidepost to, well, if I think I should be able to do this, then maybe let's think about how we could potentially move in that direction, right? Maybe that's like an underlying desire, um, or or even, maybe it's telling me it's not a desire. Maybe it's telling me the opposite. Nice. So, so yeah, I think it's so powerful, the awareness piece, but just recognizing that this work and our podcast topic of self-acceptance is to recognize that accepting that our brains have these thoughts from a fully like open door, like let's welcome in the possibility that we can look at our thoughts without judgment. And it's just so fun once you start doing this without judgment. And it's even really an opportunity to like, like it's an opportunity to question the thought and just in the first place. And that can be a really, really useful tool just 
doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter which direction you go with it, but just to start asking questions about it. <laughs> and you can um, play around with it. It's so fun. Yeah. And it can actually, yeah. Yeah. Right. It can be fun if you have, have the, the right kind of attitude behind it, you know? <laughs> um, okay. Awesome. And so as we kind of move on through, through this, this topic, um, we want to bring up next the concept of meeting ourselves where we are. And I feel like this is one of those things that we probably have, you know, we have touched on it before in a sense, um, kind of the same similar concept to loving what is, or um, having that kind of radical self-acceptance or acceptance of reality. I'm saying kind of the same thing over and over again, sorry, but it's basically, you know, acknowledging who you are, where you are right now, and then coming and meeting yourself there, right? And that's not to say that, you know, you don't have goals or you you won't develop goals or a plan to reach a goal or things like that, but it's kind of breaking it down so that we can meet ourselves where we are, love ourselves where we are, and then take action from that place, as opposed to what I think a lot of times a lot of us end up doing, which is kind of a identifying as something in ourselves that we don't like very much, whatever it is, you know, it could be that you're working too little, that you're working too much, that your kids are too loud, that your kids are too quiet, <laughs> that, you know, you're eating the things you don't want to eat, or you're eating not enough of the things you want to eat. But, you know, it could be anything, right. But we identify like the thing we don't like, and then we try to change it from a place of kind of like, not love, right. Um, you could call it self-loathing. You could call it a lot of different things, but ultimately that's not going to provide the drive over time to get us to really where we want to be and stay there. Right. Well, I want to just bring up something a common, um, a common thing I hear from high achievers mm -hmm. and I don't, think my husband listens to our podcast, but um, we had this really long conversation, a uh, car ride conversation the other day where we were talking about coaching concepts and principles. And he brought up, well, you know, I think the reason I'm here where I got to is because I was really hard on myself. I have to like, thank myself for being so hard on myself. Otherwise, like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't achieve. And I think that's a really common thing that comes up. So I wanted to bring that up here. Uh, why do, because people think if they just accept who they are right now, that that breeds complacency and that, that like, we're just being lazy. If we're just like, Oh, we love ourselves where we are. So as if that means we're not going to move forward. So can we talk about that a little bit? And like, how do you, how do you think about that? Yeah. I love that you brought that, brought that forward too. Um, so I, I think I might have a lot in common with your husband. I think I similarly <laughs> um, sort of had that thought initially when this kind of concept was brought up and, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. You know, I feel like, you know, my sort of ability to drive and keep going has, you know, been due to the fact that I'm able to kind of be like, Hey, let's get going. Right. Um, and maybe coming from a place of like, Oh, there, there's more to do. There's, um, like a sense of urgency and need to produce more to get to that next place. Maybe, maybe even right. The not enoughness that there's, there's more somewhere that I need to go get. And right. So just to validate that, I think that's incredibly common. Yes. Anyone who's, you know, in the world really, but, you know, maybe especially amongst high achievers. And so the thing that, 
think for me really started to change that was the concept that is kind of brought up in the positive intelligence teachings of uh, Shirzad Shamin, but he kind of breaks down a lot of, a lot of our um, sort of negative emotions into what he calls saboteurs. And so one is the hyperachiever. And in that context or construct, um, he discusses how when we take this type of thing and we take it too far, then we end up having diminished returns ultimately on our investment in the sense that, you know, we start to burn out. Um, and there, there is probably, you know, some grain of truth, right. At some point in our life, it did help us to motivate, to be like, Hey, you know, go get that extra thing, go do that extra thing. But where it really starts to become problematic is when we employ it kind of all the time to everything. <laughs> and especially maybe over, you know, many years, right. When I, and I think, you know, many of the people were, we're speaking to here, right. We're, we're not in the throes of, you know, high school, you know, homework, you know, it's not, it's not, we're, we're not trying to like say that like you shouldn't have motivation to finish your homework in high school, you know, and just love the fact that you have your paper and you're not going to write anything on it. But, you know, it's more like once you have gotten all of this momentum, right. And you are doing lots of things. It's not that helpful to come from a place of, Oh, I'm still not enough. I still need to do more. It's more helpful to really recharge yourself, acknowledge what you have done, accept it, <laughs> accept yourself, self-acceptance, right. To some extent. And, um, and then that opens up kind of an ease and a flow and a freedom of energy that can take you a lot further in your achievement goals and dreams. I guess that's kind of how I think of it. Yeah, no, I love the way you said that. And I think that's, um, you know, to kind of what I heard is basically it's more sustainable and yeah. to come from an energy of, of love and self-acceptance than from an energy of like, let's, we're not good enough yet, basically. Like we need to beat ourselves up in order to get further. We need to sacrifice to get further. We need to like having negative energy driving us because I think at the end of the day, you can make the argument that you, know, you can take the same actions from a positive and a negative energy and emotion. But if you can do it both ways, then wouldn't you rather be doing it from an energy that is, is, um, is kind of expansive and, and kind of self-propagates itself forward than an energy that is, um, you know, basically depleting. Um, so I think you're right. Like it's really coming from that um, self-acceptance and the self-love um, and coming from, it's no better here than there because I I love me where I am is actually going to take you further in the long run. And it's going to be a way, a way better ride. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's so not going to be <laughs> exactly. It's going to be so much more fun. It's not going to be this energy of like, Oh, let's get through the slog. Not to say that there aren't things that we don't like to do. And that's totally fine too, but just the overarching, um, energy of like recognizing we're choosing and we want to, and not coming from resistance. And again, being honest with ourselves. Oh, I love that. Yep. Yep. Honesty with ourselves as part of telling ourselves the truth as part of self-acceptance, right. <laughs> kind of keep looping totally. it all back together. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of to come to our, our, our last thing that we wanted to talk about, we want to share a little bit about just our own stories of identity, just because we'd had a couple of conversations that were really 
what we thought were fascinating <laughs> about our own our own sort of um, journeys, I guess, in in how we identify, right? And and I think again, right, it's going to be a process over your entire life. Um, it's not like we're saying, you know, you, you there's a certain place to get to with your identity, right? It's going to probably evolve over time forever. Um, but I just wanted to invite you first, Ursula, to to share maybe some of your thoughts around around your concept of identity and maybe particularly yeah. we were talking about cultural backgrounds, but, you know, we can go in any direction with this. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that this is a really strong place to go in our last podcast of the month of identity. I'm going to miss our month of identity, to be honest, uh, because part I, two. <laughs> <laughs> true, we get to make up the rules <laughs> for our own podcast. Um, so I think identity is so, so important to me because well, first of all, I think it's been pr- like scientifically proven that this is one of the big, the things that as human beings, like being stripped of our identity is one of the most, um, the most painful things and having a sense of identity and loving yourself, uh, be- and accepting all the pieces of you. Like we talk about intersectionality now a lot, right? Like we're not just boxes. We're actually integration of all the things and all the things bringing those together from cultural background to your job, to your, um, to your values, your family, to like all the things, your hobbies, like all of it together. Like once you kind of, instead of separating them out into little checkboxes, like once you kind of mish them all together, that's who you are. That's the goodness. There's no one just like you. And thinking of yourself as special, unique, and not just, um, part of a, a part of like a group. It's, there's something special about that. Like it, mm-hmm. it's sort of, to me anyways, helps me show up and know internally that, you know, that, that I have something different to provide to the world. Um, and that comes down to identity. And so a big part of my identity, especially recently in light of a lot of the racial equity stuff that has been coming up in the last few years has been re-coming back to my cultural background identity, which is um, my mom is Peruvian and my dad is German and they both immigrated. So um, I'm first generation and uh, for we, we spoke a lot before we recorded and, and I want to share just one piece of it was that I spent every summer in Peru and like, I was part of the Peruvian club in Dallas. So in Dallas, Texas, so where I grew up. So there was all, there was quite an immersion in the Peruvian culture and that became a big part of my identity. I did Peruvian, traditional Peruvian dancing. I learned how to dance salsa at a young age. Like it was this pride that came from that celebration of that part of my identity that helped me show up as a Latina who is embraces that, right? It's that upbringing and it's um, the way I can, now that I've reconnected with it even stronger in recent years, like, um, you know, having a voice is so important so that everyone out there knows that they can drop the shame around any sort of, you know, marginalized um, identity you might have, like in society, in a society that is, you know, racist <laughs> and and has biases and has all this uh, stuff. So if we aren't aware of the identities that we are accepting and showing up with, and the ones that we're perhaps hiding, we can actually internalize a lot of that racism and the and the kind of um, biases that you you come across. 
So I could probably talk about it this for hours and hours, but I want it to throw it back to you, Brie. What about you and your identity? I agree with you. We could talk about this for hours and hours. So I think we will probably have to do another at some point podcast that's, you know, maybe more dedicated to more of this stuff, but yeah. So, um, so I have a cultural background, so a cultural, ethnic, racial background. Um, my mom is Japanese and my dad is like Welsh European, but American. And, um, it's interesting because my Japanese grandparents actually were born here back in the early 1900s, um, kind of in the Midwest and they were farmers and, um, and then my dad's family, I think, emigrated at some point, you know, maybe a hundred years before that. So they were fairly established in the in the United States as well. And so it's sort of interesting um, that my upbringing, I was also kind of raised in a very rural part of California. <laughs> um, and so in, in where I was raised, you know, I did feel like I, I definitely stuck out. I was, I was not part of the rest of the the population in the sense that it was majority um, white. And there was, I think, maybe two or three other families that had, you know, various other ethnic backgrounds, at least at that time, which was, you know, now maybe 35 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, And so I know things are changing, of course. But another experience that I've noticed over time is that, you know, my grandparents, they lived through World War II, in the United States. And my grandfather, who was Japanese, actually served in the military as a, an intelligence um, communications, um, I guess, what would you call that? Intelligence officer. <laughs> I, I actually should know the, the specific name, but I have forgotten it in this moment. In any case, you know, they took a lot of pride in the fact that they were serving the United States and that they lived in the United States. But at that time, of course, you know, and many of us know, right, there was the Japanese internment camps and there was an incredible amount of, you know, hostility or racism towards uh, anyone of Asian descent, um, maybe, but particularly Japanese people at that time. And so, you know, over time, I've realized that, you know, when, when my mom was growing up and, you know, in the Southern California area, there was a a very um, strong drive to assimilate into the white culture, uh, that majority white culture, I should say. And um, so, you know, they didn't grow up speaking Japanese at home. And there were definitely certain parts of the culture that came, came through. And, you know, I was even taught when I was younger, and I'm really grateful for that. And I kind of hang on to it. Um, but then there's this kind of other side to it that um, was kind of a, you know, almost like denying that part of the culture. So like, you know, the, the, the club of, you know, the Peruvian club, we didn't quite have that same experience. Right. Anyway, just to go further to say that I think what you brought up in terms of our identities um, being kind of a meshwork, right. Not so much boxes, it's a meshwork that we all kind of bring together in the fabric of our lives and the fabric of who we are and that we are unique and special. And at the same time, acknowledging that there's this kind of innate human desire to belong, to belong to groups. And um, so, you know, over time I started to find ways and find other people that I noted to have had sort of a similar sort of 
mixed cultural background. And then that was sort of where I started to find um, belonging, I guess you could say. Um, so that's a little bit of my cultural background story and identity. Yeah, you brought up some really good points. Thank you for sharing that, actually, first of all, um, because really it comes down to, you know, how we were raised and what the perception was of those those cultural pieces, those ethnic race cultural pieces and what we were taught, especially in, like I said, this racist society that's evolved over the years. But in the end, those are those beliefs about that particular part of who we are, even though they're not intentional, there's that subconscious, like we're picking it up as, as children, as even adults, um, and so it's always worth coming back to it and re-examining, like, why is it that I'm maybe not mentioning my my background when I show up in a room? And I think both of us, you know, my my dad's German, and so I have I'm half white. So we're both mixed in that sense. And I think to some degree, depending on a person's eye, perhaps, um, we can we have this white passing privilege, right? And so um, even though we're, you know, kind of maybe internalizing some of the, the racist, uh, aspects of it in some ways, especially for me, I could say for me, I definitely was taught at a young age that the white passing was a, a thing to try to do, right? My dad is white and I saw real time how he had people listen to him and they don't listen to my mom. Right. And, you know, she, in some ways was able, I think my interpretation was she was able to embrace her cultural background because we always knew that we could just bring our dad, my dad along and we'd be okay. Like, you know, as long as he was in the car, as long as he was like at the restaurant, as long as he was around, he could quote unquote protect us. And so I was sort of feel very lucky to have the kind of range of being like having been brought up that it's okay to like fully be Latina, but also knowing that I can just kind of slip into this white passing thing and that I can navigate a racist society. But having that awareness now that that's what I was doing was really painful for me to like accept in myself that that's what I was doing. And then, but once, like I said, we don't want to use the work against ourselves, acceptance can be painful right? Like it can be hard um, looking at ourselves through that lens and saying, it's okay that I did that. And what can I do today to, to kind of acknowledge it and maybe even help. Right. 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 Yeah. That's such a good point. And I think, you know, I had a different, you know, upbringing and scenario, but at the same time, it was, it was probably similar, right. That there was always this like possible out because there was some ambiguity as to, mm -hmm. you know, actually I, I, I think I used to sort of, I used to sort of self-identify as maybe Latina because a lot of people thought I was. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and so I, I think that that's also, you know, it's a little bit funny, but it's also, it just kind of lends to this, this sense, right. That, um, you know, there, that our world is, you know, growing and changing and becoming more intermixed. And, and so hopefully that brings more of this awareness to the world yeah. and we can all start to kind of live in more, um, cohesion, love and compassion with each other. But, um, but I really am glad you brought that forward too, because it does, right. It helps us to acknowledge who we are, um, how we identify 
um, meet ourselves where we are, accept that. And then also, like we were saying before, right, start to identify where we want to move toward, right, where we want our actions to go towards so we can make changes or bring changes for ourselves in our own lives. And then, you know, in the greater world, because we're doing our small part in our own lives. Yeah. I think the other thing I want to mention that um, a shift, a mental shift in terms of all these different parts, especially if they're marginalized pieces of you, like identities that you have, and perhaps it's like, you know, you have a disability or you have some, you know, like less money, you know, like money and all these things that you can have, we, we all have certain amounts of privilege in different areas. Um, but once you start thinking that perhaps even though it is perceived in the society as being a disadvantage, where could it actually be your superpower? Where could you actually like be proud of it and, and like show up in, not in spite of, but because of, now I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> it's a really great, great point. I'm going to get emotional seeing you get emotional. Yeah, right. Exactly. To to see our to see ourselves in our whole identity, right, as our superpower, because that is what it is. You know, you as yourself, who whoever you are, however you identify, are your own your own superhero, your own superpower, and um, yeah. That is just very touching. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we accept all ranges of emotions here in coaching. So I'm just going (laughs) to let myself be, um, feel that one for a minute, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that was an amazing podcast. I was, were there other things that we want to wrap up with? You know, I think, I think we'll, we'll wrap up here. But we will come back to this because I think it's so powerful and we, we have a lot to share. And I think a lot of the people that you know we're talking to are also going to have a lot to, to think about and process and maybe want to bring forward. So we'll, um, we'll definitely come back to this topic again. <laughs> I love it. And we'll see you in April. Yes. See you soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to apply some of these principles to your own life, We are here to help. Get started by following the link in the show notes to download our step-by-step video guided workshop to reclaim your time.